This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. One of my most memorable guests, Kirsten Johnson, is with me again. And just off the top, I'm going to say that her documentary, Dick Johnson is Dead, a personal movie about coping with her father's dementia, just blew me away. I was so moved and I cried so much. And I laughed so hard that I finally didn't know what was what. It's like nothing you'll ever experience. Because that's what it really is, this film. It's an experience. And all through, I kept thinking, how does Kirsten Johnson make something so personal to her feel so personal to me, to us? When I last spoke to Kirsten Johnson, it was about her film Camera Person, an incredible documentary slash personal exploration of her role as cinematographer behind the camera of award-winning documentaries, filming in war zones and with filmmakers like Michael Moore and Laura Poitras. When we talked about Camera Person, she spoke of her lust for life and how that helped her cope with all the trauma and suffering she'd witnessed behind the camera. And it's that lust for life that you feel with Kirsten. You feel her presence even when you can't see her when she's behind the camera. You feel it when she's with her subjects and you feel it talking to her about some of the most difficult subjects that we all face. Death and the death of our loved ones. Enter Dick Johnson, Kirsten's father, and obviously an explanation to where her lust for life comes from. Dick, a retired psychiatrist, is a force. A force for good. The relationship that we come to take part of in Dick Johnson is Dead is warm, funny, and in trauma as Dick recently received his dementia diagnosis. How do they cope with this? His inevitable death, the fleeting nature of memory. Well, maybe you kill your father on camera over and over again, and he's in on it, staging the most outrageous death scenes and then coming back to life all interwoven with their powerful stories and reflections. Here is the trailer for Dick Johnson is Dead. Just the idea that I might ever lose this man is too much to bear. He's my dad. Let's start walking, just start walking to me. That's fantastic. I suggested we make a movie about him dying. <laughs> he said yes. She kills me. Multiple times. Action! The resurrected dad. Yeah, the resurrected dad. <laughs> but now it's upon us, the beginning of his disappearance. The thing I hate most about my memory loss is that it hurts people's feelings. If you know that you woke up in the middle of the night last night, you got fully dressed. Do you remember any of that? No. Yeah. What can we do about that? I don't know. Everybody has to sort of prepare because everybody dies. I love life too much for that. <laughs> Thank you for your tremendous movie. I'm just so moved and to meet your family with your dad so incredible and your whole thank you so much oh you're the best well we had so much time fun talking the last time we talked I and that know. wasn't even a funny movie so this is gonna be much better <laughs> so i never thought i'd be this excited about talking about death and dementia 
<laughs> well, I knew I had to do something because nobody's excited about talking about death and dementia. And we should be. Mm. But last time we talked, we talked about your amazing movie camera person. We talked about your role and how you negotiate it. And, and you said to me and in, in the movie that you pose one question always, and that's why is someone letting themselves be filmed? What is your answer regarding your dad? Love, just simply love. You know, he, he loves me to pieces um, and that's it. And I think that I think that is what is sort of the new territory of understanding that this film is giving me. Um, I'm starting to think of grieving like love, like that it doesn't it doesn't end. Mm. It it mutates, and it and it and it changes and transforms. But I think I'm I'm starting to have sort of new ideas for myself about. Um, what relationships are, what love is, and hence what grieving is. Because, you know, I think people who have not yet lost someone they, you know, love beyond words, like a parent or a partner or a child, you know, I think that it's a territory. It's a territory as humans that we enter. And, and until we have crossed that border, we don't really understand um, grieving and the nature of grieving. But one of the things that's happening to me right now, like yesterday I got a text from a man who I can barely remember who went to my parents' church and he wrote about how after the loss of their three and a half year old child to meningitis, my mother invited them to our house over and over and took their kids blackberry picking and made blackberry pies with their family. And it just occurred to me, I didn't understand grief then because I hadn't experienced it, but she had, and she knew what people needed when they were grieving. And that's what she was doing. And it was opaque to me as a child. I couldn't understand it. And so, so, so I just feel like this film is giving me, you know, sort of new insights into my parents as it moves forward and new insights into sort of what it is to be alive, which is so crazy because it is a film about death and dementia. It's interesting because often grieving for many of us starts even before death. It's so powerful in the movie when you both, you and your father, you make the decision to give up his car, that he should move in with you. You start to realize this, which is sort of a a grieving process. When did you first notice that your father was, his memory was slipping away? Right. I mean, this idea of anticipatory grief, where you actually grieve while a person is still alive, or you you grieve the loss of something when it's not sure that it it is lost yet or completely lost. You know, I think like in this moment of the pandemic, we are collectively on a global level engaged in powerful anticipatory grieving. You know, we are, we in the cinema community in some ways are experiencing uh, anticipatory grieving around the experience of sharing movies in theaters. You know, we don't know what the future of, filmmaking, film viewing looks like, and we feel loss about it, I think, which is very real. With my mom's Alzheimer's, I didn't know what Alzheimer's looked like, and each new step down in her decline sort of rocked me to my core, and I couldn't believe that I had 
not understood that I would lose something and it would go away forever and it was gone and it was too late. And I sort of kept being shocked by it. I think that's why I couldn't quite accept uh, consciously that my dad <laughs> was showing the signs of dementia until a couple of years into it. Um, so I had the dream that sort of initiates the film in some way. So I dreamt there was a man I didn't recognize who sits up in a casket and says, I'm Dick Johnson. I'm not dead yet in the fall of 2016. And that's when I had the idea to do the funeral. But even just recently, the idea came to me, it was like, oh, maybe that was my brain understanding that my dad was transforming, mm -hmm. that he was a man I didn't recognize, right? That the dementia would turn him into a man I didn't recognize. So from that point forward, I was like, I'm gonna make a funny movie about death because he's an old man, but I was not allowing dementia into my understanding of it. And also I believed at that time that dementia would prevent me from making the movie, right? Because it would diminish his capacities. But, but by the time we got the money to make the movie, the dementia was like really unavoidable. And then I had this panic attack about, do I have to give the money back? Do I have to tell Netflix I can't make this movie? And then I said, no way. Like I, I, I need, I need to stay with my dad. I, I need to try to make this movie. And I've always said like, it's an effort to keep my father alive forever. So of course it's going to fail. So that's what I will say to Netflix. I, I, I'm, I'm taking the money and I'm going to, I'm going to make a failure. I'm going to make a great failure. It's true because what you're saying that this idea that you do together, it's really more life affirming than it is about dying, even though you're killing him over and over <laughs> again. Um, what was your father's favorite way to die? You know, my father kept saying he wanted to be shot by a jealous husband and he <laughs> wanted to die by eating too much chocolate. Uh, you know, and so, so that there were these, that he had these fantasies that, that somehow we kept being like, you know, we would try them and then he would be sort of overacting. Like it was such his own fantasy that he couldn't stay grounded in the real with it, which was, you know, this is, this was like this crazy tightrope uh, in the film of trying to make more blurry the edges between what is real now and what is not yet real what mm -hmm. is the present and what will be the future what is life and what is death um and you know i just think this like really interesting way in which um religion constructed my brain to think in terms of binaries and yet uh as my life has gone on i feel like this real like spectrum, everything is much more in a spectrum. So even, you know, death, we can say like there's death of breathing, death of the brain, the death of the heart. Mm -hmm. Like even a medical doctor will tell you death is not so located in time or space or even in a position in the body. Um, but, you know, like I would say right now, the dementia has already killed parts of my father. Dick Johnson is dead already. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But of course he's not. And my mother's not completely dead, right? Like she, and she keeps being alive in me and sort of, you know, I keep getting this new information. So my idea about this line between life and death is sort of like my interest in this line between um, what we call documentary or what we call fiction or what we call uh, lack of performance and performance, um, the performance of the self. 
right? So, so you know, so so the sort of this film gave me all of these tools to interrogate this in-between territory. But what about your kids? They don't, you know, see death that way. I mean, how, what did they feel about killing grandpa? They love it. They love killing grandpa. <laughs> you know, and, and are sort of, I mean, the thing is, kids are engaged with death. You know, we've been up in the countryside during COVID and we had a, a dinner the other night. We were talking about all the dead animals we'd seen. Mm-hmm. We saw a raccoon drowned in a pond. We saw a snake that had been run over. We saw, you know, a deer that had been hit by a car. We, and the sort of blood and guts that are in nature, um, the kids have become really interested in. And I remember when they were three, sort of reading, reading a book that I didn't realize was about 9-11 and I sort of burst into tears like I turned the page and realized it was about 9-11 and the three you know three-year-old Felix sort of said why mama crying and I said I I just a lot of people died when you know this happened and I I forgot how it felt and he said how does it feel when people die you know and so you, you have these remarkable conversations with children and you sort of imagine that you'll only have one conversation with a child about an important thing. Like that I would have one conversation about the children uh, being, you know, the children um, come from an egg donor. They're not my biological children. And before it happened, I imagined I would tell them that once, but of course I've told them dozens of times. And it evolves we'll talk about that it. conversation. It evolves yeah. and it, and it, and it, and it each person in the relationship is changing, right? So you tell that story a different way to a three-year-old than you tell it to a five-year-old to an eight-year-old. And I understand it now differently as the mother of an eight-year-old than I did when I was the mother of a newborn. So that way in which a film changes, you know, camera person is now changed by the fact I have made Dick Johnson. And and you will watch camera person in a new way because of what's happening in your life. Right. And, and, and when it is different to watch Dick Johnson is dead, if you don't have a parent who has died, mm-hmm. you know, once your parent dies, it will become a new film for you. When my father actually dies, the title will mutate in its meaning. Right. When I die, the film will become a different film. And, and who knows what will last? Who knows if, the film will last if cinema will last if the planet will last none of this do we we know none of this we know nothing about the future but one of the things you've done that most of us unfortunately don't do is you know we we always walk around saying oh i wish i would have asked my mother more about herself i wish i would have asked her friends um before my mother died and you have gotten the opportunity to do this. You even staged a funeral where you heard his friends talking about him, where he heard his friends talking about him. What did you learn about your dad as an adult that surprised you? I knew he was an incredibly consistent and loving person. That has been confirmed <laughs> by making the <laughs> We film. can see that. Uh, so I knew that. I think what's powerful about this is his dementia is so difficult for me. Mm-hmm. It is ripping me up. It is so hard for me. And my father was always easy. My mother, my relationship with my mother wasn't easy for me. And her dementia made loving her easy for me. 
Oh, interesting. So it's sort of flipped for you. That it's a flip, and I think, I think in my naivete about life, um, I imagined that um, love could be all one thing, and I think love is all things. So that when you have a person who is so easy to love at some point in the relationship, and it may be after their death, it becomes as difficult as it was easy. That you can't, you, that you get all of it. If you are truly engaged in it, you get the full package, which I think we don't want the full package. We don't want the anger. We don't want the pain. We don't want the hurt. But I think that's what, that's what we get when we love other humans. You get the whole package. You get the whole package. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to, how is he? So my dad is now in a dementia care facility. He's shifted again. I think if COVID had not happened, he would still be living with me. And I would be in some ways beyond the edge of my capacities. Um, I, it was nearly impossible for me to imagine moving him into a home because it's one more step in acknowledging the disappearance and the decline. Mm. Um, but, you know, in the movement around who was traveling where, when, you know, I had to go into quarantine. A couple of people made a very powerful point to me that if my children got COVID and they, you know, without in an asymptomatic way, passed it on to my yeah, father and my no. father died, I can't give that narrative to my children. That's an irresponsible, that's irresponsible parenting. In my attempt to be the best daughter ever, that would be like being the worst mother ever, right? So that, that was like what intellectually convinced us it had to happen, but emotionally I was yeah. not ready and COVID forced it. The beautiful thing that COVID also made possible was that my brother came and got my father and my brother took care of my father from March until July. Mm. And now my brother understands more of what I've been living with. And it has changed the nature of my relationship with my brother. So, I mean, I think in this way that COVID is taking away from so many people and COVID may take away from me in ways I don't understand the future, but COVID also giveth. And I think, I, you know, and I think for everyone, COVID is redefining the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about relationships, the way we think about the planet. But can he experience the joy, how we love him so much and how great this yeah. movie's going? Well, you know, it's so funny. The premiere, the Netflix premiere was on his birthday. My brother and his wife went to bring a cake to my dad, gave him the New York Times. He opens the New York Times and says, is the New York Times covering birthdays now? Because there's like a <laughs> half page article about him in the New York Times, you know? So, so, you know, I told him, I was like, dad, you're in the New Yorker, you're in the New York Times. And he was like, he was like, well, you know, I just want to be talking to you. That's all that matters to me. Aww. So in some beautiful way, he's got his values, like totally, like what he cares about is that those who are closest to him love him. Not that the entire world is starting to love him. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, the sense of humor that you two seem to share, 
I mean, both of you seem to just really have a lust for life as you talked to me a lot about that it saved you as a cinematographer and camera person during very many difficult shoots that your lust for life. And he talks about that too, and just laughing and having fun. Was it always like this or has this become forward even more now with this project? Well, I think that... You know, I think that the religious world I was a part of, and I think in some ways my parents' limitations around the politics of the world, you know, my, my parents in some ways didn't, didn't inform me about, um, you know, the white supremacy of American history. They didn't inform me about how hard it is to be a poor person in the world. And, and when I sort of discovered those things on my own, I was full of, you know, outrage and was really serious and really angry and didn't have a lot of sense of humor about it. I was Mm -hmm. really upset and sort of wanted to um, make change in the world. Right. I think what my parents also didn't, your parents were Seventh Day Adventists. Seventh right? Day Adventists, right? And and you know, and and said things to me like, you know, all people are created equal under God, not saying explicitly, but wow, we really treat black and brown people terribly in the United States of America and always have, right? They left they left parts of my education out, which I now understand as a parent, like there's actually so much to share with children that you you can't tell them all of it all of the time. But there are things that you that you bring to the forward or don't bring to the forward with your children. And when I think about it now, you know, my mother didn't speak much about her grief over the her her mother's death that in some ways you could say my mom quote caused because she was driving a car when her mother died. My father said very little about the pain that he encountered while being a psychiatrist, you know, listening to patients with all the stories, all the stories, right? My father was constantly looking for humor. I didn't know how much he needed that. Right. So my father wasn't spending time telling me about racism in the world, about mental illness. He was looking to have fun. And my mother was looking to create pleasure and introducing me to the pleasure of color and, and beautiful things. and beautiful yeah. things. So in some ways, you know, I was so angry at my parents that they hadn't told me about how horrible the world was. And the perspective I have now is they knew how horrible the world was and they wanted to give me the gifts of the joy of the world, the, the delight of the world. And, you know, I had my kids when I was 46 years old and like, in some ways you're so tired by the pain of the world at 46 years old. It was so fun to have these like fresh skinned little babies who had no clue how awful the world can be. Yeah. And I'm just every day he's five and I'm like, Oh, oh, what a joy during all this. What a joy. <laughs> this kid doesn't know how awful it is. Right. And, and, and so you see why people deny things You see why people compartmentalize things. You see why people don't face the pain. I mean, I think all of our collective worry is in doing that, do we create more pain? Do we disrespect other humans? Do we abuse other humans by not acknowledging pains that 
that are caused by systems we're complicit in. Right. Some things should come out. Yeah. Things have to come out. Right. So I think that, I think that, um, you know, my sort of um, struggle as a filmmaker to like reveal the difficult, reveal the painful, uh, unbury the buried, uh, you know, show the, what is not, you know, you think about that sort of medley of genocides that's in camera person. I'm saying, look, yeah, it looks like a beautiful field of sunflowers, but this is where Native Americans were slaughtered, right? So, so you know, I think this struggle in me of, of which things do we attempt to show, talk about, discover, search for, that is, that's my quest, right? And in this one, you do it with so much humility and so much laughter that, that <laughs> we want to look and we want to be in that feeling, even though, you know, we realize that it's, you know, such diff- so difficult for the both of you. But I want to ask you, I know, I'm sure that so many people think about their own parents watching your movie, and you've heard a lot of stories after this. And I just, my, when my mother had her second stroke, she didn't survive that stroke. But for a while, um, she was in the hospital, and she wasn't lucid. And I, and I remember sitting there, there was doctors everywhere, and, and thinking all these, you know, what am I supposed to think about now? What, what do we do here? And, and I looked at her hand, I remember, and, and suddenly all these memories were triggered for me. She had all these this, these beautiful hands and they were still beautiful. And I remember thinking, I'm going to take my cell phone and I'm going to take a picture of her hand um, because I really like these memories. And then I thought, everyone's going to think I'm crazy in this room. You don't, you don't do something like that. Oh. You don't take a picture of someone who's... A, so I didn't. Oh. And now when I see your movie, I, I thought, I really should have done I that. Want- <laughs> that. But it feels some some sort of integrity thing for me there. Yeah. And, and a thing about society looking at us and that we, we must not, we must not reveal certain needs or we must not broach the bounds of dignity. Um, And, you know, it's so interesting that you say this about, you know, the hands, the feet, um, because I think what you wanted you wanted the visual image of her hand, but you also wanted to not lose the capacity to touch her hand. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so that even if you did have the picture, you could not touch her hand, but you might have um, the stimulation, the, the, the evidence, the photographic evidence can stimulate your memory of the sensation of touching her so that, so that memory, memory is fragmentary to start with and it does fade. We lose the specificity of memory, but photographic evidence, whether it's still or moving, regenerates um, sensation, right? We, we, we see the, like you would recognize your mother's hand out of thousands of hands anywhere yeah and and this was something extraordinary that happened when i was um working on camera person was that i i re-recognized everyone's eyes everyone who i had filmed as soon as i would see their eyes i would say oh i've seen those eyes before you know and if you asked me i would never be able to describe what did the midwife in nigeria's eyes look like but as soon as i saw them I knew her, I knew, mm-hmm. I remembered her, right? But in some ways it was more like I had a hallucination of her. I was taken back into the moment of looking into her eyes. 
And so that thing with your mother, you know, um, I think we cannot only rely upon our memory. And in some ways, that's why people keep things. That's why people hoard and don't move out of houses. That's why someone can't throw away the sweater that belonged to someone. Um, you know, and that's why some people in, in what pe other people would call pathological ways don't live their own lives, but stay attached to a person who existed before them, right? So it, it, we're always sort of trying to sort of navigate this balance between how much of our lives do we fill up with the past how much do we open up to try to move forward into a future where we might have children, where we might become the past and the children are the ones who are trying to let go of us, you know, so that this is, you know, this, this battle of the human condition. But I do think that the, the way the mind works, the way consciousness works, the way memory works is so intimately connected to cinema because consciousness is, crafted out, out of all of these um, sensory fragments, which is what a film is. It's, it's crafted out of sound, music, images, the, their unexpected juxtaposition, um, the, the re-scene of things, the scene of things in new ways, um, which allows us to feel. One of the things you say in, in the film and you've said talking about it is that one of your hopes was, you know, seeing him die again and again and being resurrected and, and that this somehow would help your process, um, that, that when he finally does pass, that this will somehow, is it what you hoped for? No question. Absolutely. It will not save me from the grief I will feel when he actually dies. I have no doubt about that. But there's no question it helped. I mean, I think because I believe in this, in the difference between memory and cinema, the fact that, you know, I have these um, living, moving images um, of my father, the fact that in some ways we reconstructed my father, like we Franken cinema Frankensteined him back together you know, we made him less demented than he was at certain moments. We, we rebuilt him. This was even in the act of doing it was um, we entered his time space continuum. Like, you know, with the heaven scenes, his dementia was looping so much at that point that he would say the same thing every minute and a half. So we slowed down time and entered, slowed down time with him. And so suddenly he could drive a car, he could dance, he could smile, he could play the clarinet, right? In continuity for four whole minutes, even though it only lasted five seconds for him. So, so like, I do think like cinema is a time machine. And I think that, that this movie will keep my father alive. You know, Joanne Tucker, yeah. who's the woman who baked the chocolate cake. That, that almost killed that him almost the first time. Yeah. You know, you know, she like, I can't tell you what her children feel about the fact she's in this movie and that they have this footage of her alive. You know, and they know it's her and not her. She's, you know, she, her face is much more blue. She's this beautiful woman. And it's like, it's like my mother and camera person or my mother in this movie. It's like, that's not my mother. You know, my mother wasn't that demented person, but yes, she was, you know, and at least I have her alive. So I really believe in cinema's capacity 
to keep people alive, to keep Buster Keaton alive, to keep my mother alive. Um, you know, and, and so this for this, I am so grateful to cinema and for the process that we engaged with as a team, everyone, you know, it wasn't just me and my dad making this team. There were literally like hundreds of people who worked on this movie. I talked with every single one of them about loss, about grieving, about how they were afraid of dying, how they wanted to die. And they all brought their love of cinema to this project. And we played together. We experimented together. We were afraid together. We cried together. And that relationship, the relationship of making films extends into the watching of it and extends into your and my relationship. We have a relationship that we built talking about camera person that we extend by talking about this film. Your wish to have photographed your mother's hand, it's too late for that, but maybe it's not you know, maybe you go back into the photos you have and find her hand and make something of it. Maybe you go back into the recordings you have and find her voice. Maybe you film your child's hand. It, I wish this film to activate people, to be in their relationships with people, whether they are living people or dead people. Do you think that this process this working with you and seeing uh, really seeing your profession and, and seeing you you're working with his daughter in this intense way and laughing so much that you did and 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 showing himself so vulnerable when you talk about these moments of looping and things that it helped him in his this state that he's in a dimension that it kept him a little more um For sure. with us yeah. It gave, yeah he he stayed in this instead of being sidelined he stayed in the picture he stayed central to my life, right? And, and instead of just like zoning out, it was like, oh, we're shooting today. Oh, we're watching the movie. And do I think this scene is funny enough? No, can we make it funnier? Let's watch Harold and Maude again. Let's watch Jackass and laugh again. Let's have another <laughs> bowl of ice cream, you know, like, and, you know, it's like my father had not played the clarinet in years. I tried to get him to play it. He couldn't said, you know, my fingers are too arthritic, can't do it. And then on set, we had him dressed in a tuxedo. We started blasting Benny Goodman, and he just picked up the clarinet and started swinging. So that's amazing. You know, what a gift. It came back to life, right? You know, so, so that's the thing. Music brings us back to life. Art brings us back to life. Relationships help us discover new aspects of ourselves as they go on over time. Finally, have you thought about how you want to die? You know, I, I, I keep thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's a question I ask everyone. You know, I'll ask you. You ask okay. me. I, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, you know, obviously I think there's a good chance I'll go to dementia, which is terrifying because I don't want to do that to the people around me. I'm also at this point kind of deeply curious. It must be so weird and trippy to have. What it's like, dementia. yeah. I'm sort of interested in it. Um, so I feel like, you know, if that's what comes, uh, like, it's going to be like, meaningful. <laughs> I really would love to die in a way that made people laugh. Something so deeply absurd, that you just, you know, you sort of burst out laughing when you hear that's the way I died, that would make me wildly happy. <laughs>
How about you? Oof, that's a hard one. I mean, I think I, I would want just a really nice day. I'd want to know that my kids have a really great life and, and, and that things are well with them. And then I want to go to the movies with my, my husband, sit on the park bench in Washington Square Park, close to where we got married, and, and uh, talk about that movie and then just get shot or something. <laughs> but just sort of end it with a great day. <laughs> well, you know, I live near In Washington Square Park, so I can, perhaps I can come by. <laughs> yeah, you can come and film the actual shooting and, and you'll know yeah. that that was fine with me because that was a wonderful, the day, that's the day I want even if I don't die. You know what I mean? Yeah. The question is, what movie do you wish you'd to see? Oh, it'd be fun to see something that we don't agree on. <laughs> so you want to go... <laughs> arguing yeah, we just, we're arguing having husband. a good time but i mean not that we're fighting but that we're right. just intellectually we're stimulated in that movie and we're talking about it and, and that you, know. you see the movie different ways that you're caught yeah, up that in would the movie be fun. In and ways. i love being caught up in a movie so i like i see that as a pleasure <laughs> well you know talking to you is such a pleasure and your palpable delight oh and is you. what makes talking to you so fun you know and 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 it's like like that's what movies have taught us in some yes. ways of like, enjoy, enjoy the different ways we understand them when we make them leave room for people to argue about them. Or, you know, I think that that is, that's for me, what's so um, thrilling about them. You know, when um, camera person premiered at Sundance, um, all these sleepless nights was playing at the same time, which I just adore as a movie. And one of the, um, young men who wears the white turtleneck who's one of the you know young man who's always dancing and partying in the movie is just so like it's just so fun to watch him he came to a screening of camera person and and because he doesn't speak english very well he came up to me afterwards and he said your film is giving me geese on my arms <laughs> and 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 it was just like i was like I was like, your film gives me geese on my arms too, you know, and, and right. How good is that? You know? And it's just like, it's like we give each other back and forth through making yeah. movies, through watching movies, through talking about them, through writing about them. We give each other pleasure and we give each other tools for, for not life. just surviving this life, but yeah. trying to thrive. How do we thrive? Yeah. And, and how do we thrive in this moment of this pandemic in this uncertain future as parents trying to prepare children to how do we prepare our children to thrive in these times? It's transparency, adaptability, joy, right? Face the pain. And if you're, if you accidentally get shot after watching a movie that you love, what a beautiful way to go when you're a really, really old lady. <laughs> and, and right back at you, what a joy it is to talk to you and to see your movies and how much they, they move me. And I, it makes me think about everything else. And, and I'll be coming back to you for your next movie. And hopefully you'll, you'll have some time because I can't wait to see what you're, you're going to be up to. Thank you so much. And please, to your father as well. I think he's moved so many um, of us. And, and I hope that he you know, is doing as well as possible. Oh, thank you so much. And I have one ask of you. Okay. Find me a picture of your mother's hand and send it to me. Okay. I will. You're going to make me Zoom cry, which I haven't yet. Oh, <laughs> tell, tell, me, tell me her name. Carmen. She was from Carmen. Spain. Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. Beautiful. I want to see. Flamenco. Uh, 
dainty you can imagine. I see Carmen's beautiful hands. And, and, you know, my dad always says, when the eyes are dry, the organs cry. So, yeah. so you're, 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 you're making yourself healthier by crying about Carmen's hands. Thank you so much. Oh, all right. Thank Big you. love to you. Big love to you. All right. Thank you so much to Kirsten Johnson. Dick Johnson is Dead is on Netflix now. And thank you so much for joining us. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show. It helps others to find us. See you next week. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.